0: I've been involved in Alpha for many years, really around the around the country, around the globe. I do not know of a better experience or environment that for you or for one of your friends you can come and explore meaning and prayer and purpose and spirituality as the video said as Lucy shared. It's really a dinner and film club on spirituality. And that sounds strange, except we do all of these things all of the time. So do our friends in so many different areas of life. We invite people. It's gonna change your life. You know, join this pickleball league. It's going to change your life. You gotta give it a shot. Come check out this pottery class with me. It changed my life. It's gonna change your life. Let's do this cooking class. Let's do this class on spirituality from a Christian perspective and learn about prayer together. It's phenomenal. I hope you'll participate in it together. I get the privilege of sharing today. As Lucy shared, we're kicking off a new series next week, building up to Easter around Lent. And so this week, the invitation was really, what's God shaping in me recently, personally? How am I growing? And just an opportunity to share that with you. So I want to introduce you to a gentleman named Ignaz Semmelweis. Everyone can say that with me together. Semleweis, Ignaz. I know maybe you're thinking of naming your new children Ignaz. He is was a Hungarian doctor back in 1846, so mid-19th century. He was a doctor at the Vienna General Hospital, and he was overseeing obstetrics wards, and he had multiple different wards. One of them was overseen, and babies were delivered, by Ders and medical students. And in a different one, it was overseen by midwives. And what he began to discover is the postpartum uh, death rate of mothers in the ward overseen by doctors was three times that overseen by midwives. Can I get a shout out for midwives, please? Yes. However, that's terrible. Why were so many women losing their lives just giving birth? And he started studying this. He didn't have a general theory to base it off of, but he started noticing the fact that medical doctors and students were coming from other contagious rooms and from actually performing autopsies and then coming in and delivering babies and literally infecting mothers, and they were dying weeks later. Three times more than the midwives who, and I think we have just a picture of sort of a turn of the century or 19th century maternity ward. You get this sense midwives were just caring for and what's going on here? This was before Louis Pasteur had published and proven modern germ theory, which came at the end of the 19th century. And Ignace started suggesting to doctors, "Before you come in, wash your hands." Literally, very simple, wash your hands. And he got the doctors in his ward to do this, and he was able to turn this death rate down back to normal rates, equating to midwives. Now, he again didn't have a theory on this. He started publishing about literally hand-washing. He now, actually, there is a movement called the global Handwashing movement, and he is known as the savior to mothers. It's incredible. But before, again, the science was there to back it up. And he was so pushed away from his counterparts of the other doctors, that after publishing and working and saving many mothers' lives, he was actually thrown into an insane asylum because he has a nervous breakdown because the medical community wouldn't accept his findings. And this is true. He was beaten and died from a contagion in this Asylum. And it wasn't until 50 some years later, Luis Pastor, and then deeper into sort of our modern era that we realized how important, how simple it is, the solution right there. And I think about the doctors. They, of course, didn't, they wanted to deliver healthy babies and mothers, but something inside of them, whether it was a pride or a blindness, wouldn't let them see the solution. The life-saving solution was simple. It was right there in front of them. And actually, they were part of contributing to the problem. It's humbling if we think about it, and the simplicity of hand-washing. Sometimes I can relate to the fact that my own shadow blinds me to a solution that could be life-transforming, help someone else, save another. It's right there, and there's something in me that prevents me from seeing power and presence and possibility. And that's where we're going to jump in to Scripture. I'm going to take us into the heat of some action here. Without a ton of explanation. This is right when Jesus, in the Gospel of John chapter 11, is raising Lazarus from the dead. That's the heat of the action. Now, suspend the questions, the wonderings about Jesus raising a guy from the dead. It's a major miracle. A whole sermon series is is worth being devoted around that. I'm just stepping to the action because I want to look at the reaction. What can we learn from the reaction so here we go, verse 43. No, yeah. When he said, said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. There's a reaction. You see power. You see presence. Nothing in ourselves is getting in the way. We accept it. We believe. We begin to follow. We let it impact our lives. But some of them went to the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of the time. Those who had the most to lose from Jesus gaining. And told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting, the Sanhedrin, the religious council, What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Fast forwarding verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. That's an interesting reaction. They were under Roman occupation, little historical context. So the Roman Empire had taken over Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and had installed military powers. They enforced their military law. They, inf- they, The people of that area lost their sovereignty. They were subject to taxation. They had to pay tribute to the Roman Empire. You've seen this probably in many different expressions of movies. And there were incredible amounts of religious tension and fear. And the Religious leaders were losing control of a grip of control externally, and Jesus coming with this miracle, this power and this presence to change lives, threatened their their only very limited grip of control externally and even potentially internally. Isn't it interesting? Did you notice in their reaction? They didn't question Jesus' miracle. They didn't questioned Jesus as filled with the power and the presence of God. They didn't even address the fact. They, they actually accepted the fact. Like, okay, here's this guy. He's special. He's doing something powerful we've never seen before. Now we're just afraid of what's going to do and take away from us. And there was a block, a shadow in themselves. They could not see. They had a miracle of resurrection right there next to them. And something inside of themselves prevented them from seeing and experiencing all of Jesus, they were absolutely missing the point. And I think that my shadow causes this sometimes too. What if Jesus, all of his power, all of his presence is right there in front of us and something in us would just completely miss the point. And this is the title of my talk today, Anti-Hero Entropy, because I have this thing where I just get older, but never wiser. Anyone know where I'm going with this? It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Who's gonna sing with me? Come on, let's go. I <laughs> stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the antihero. Yeah, if you don't know what I did, it's okay. It's Trask Kelsey's favorite song. <laughs> An antihero. The central protagonist with enough amount of positive and negative qualities existing at the same time that it blurs the lines of, is this a hero or a villain? I think of Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, is he good? Is he bad? I don't know. And of course, entropy is the degradation of matter and energy. It's this general trend of the universe over time towards disorder and dissipation. I have anti-hero entropy inside of myself, without cultivating something else. I am going to, over time, dissolve into a shadow and a blur of not being self-aware enough to see what I'm missing. Maybe the presence of Jesus. Maybe transformation. And sometimes we all carry this. There's a lens that we put on out of protection, out of a lack of cultivation otherwise that causes us to miss peace, to maybe have breakdowns in relationships with God, with others, with with behaviors that ultimately hurt ourselves, maybe within our finances, over and over again, this entropy. And we have to step in with intention otherwise. These lenses have been categorized by actually many clinicians. Some of them are are simple terms, like just a general lack of self-awareness, where we have a limited amount of Ability to see how our own emotions, our own behaviors, our own thoughts are impacting ourselves and others and how our communication styles are perceived by others and how they impact the world around us and how we experience the world. We hear a term denial which is a defense mechanism, it's conscious, it's unconscious, where we reject or refuse reality of a situation, even if it's staring us right in the face, like doctors who need to wash their hands because mothers are dying in their maternity ward and not the midwives' ward, or Pharisees who are staring at a man who was raised from the dead, not questioning the miracle, just blind to the fact of how it can impact and their life. We get into something called cognitive dissonance. This is when there's a disparity between our beliefs and our behaviors, and it just creates a gap of awareness in ourself because we're living one way and and thinking we're believing a different way, like the relationship of exercise and diet and wanting to lose weight. We live one way, we think one way, and we're unaware of the gap we're creating in our own mind. We do this to ourselves. Confirmation bias. This is where we seek information that confirms our preconceptions or what we want or how we're living and we avoid and dismiss. Our brain does this to us. The challenges to those preconceived ideas or a selective attention and memory, again, where we're literally staring at something that happened into our life and our brain shuts it out of our purview so we don't remember it. We can't see it. These are, these are lenses. These are things that our brain is doing to to lead us into anti-hero entropy, and I wanna be able to overcome it together. Sometimes we hit these beautiful moments in life that we get to just level up in self-awareness. It's not a guarantee. Over the last handful of years of my life, it's been that for me. And wrestling with, where's the cognitive dissonance? Where's the the confirmation bias? Where's the selective attention and memory and self-evaluation that's just been causing me to get similar or less than desired outcomes in relationships and lives. And you know, I won't go into great detail, but I did have one of those sort of culminating reflective moments. I captured some of it in a journal. I want to read it to you of just this journey of vulnerable self awareness that I've been on. I wrote, My faith was weaker than I thought as through reflecting on some years growing into where I am today. My fears were stronger than I thought. My word was looser than I thought. My narcissism was bigger than I thought. My decision-making was less mature than I thought. My mental health was more unstable than I thought. My marriage was not as strong as I thought. My finances were less organized than I thought. My commitment to work was lighter than I thought. My devotion to others was emptier than I thought. And he's created consequences and opportunities. And I just went in prayer after reflecting on this. Lord, please forgive me and help me forgive myself. And Lord, please help me to fight for growth, help my faith to be stronger, my fear to be overcome with love, my word to be truer, my narcissism to fade to less of me, more of you and others, my decision-making to be sharper, my mental health to be stronger, my marriage to strengthen, my finances to build, my commitment to work to be resolved, my devotion to serve be primary. Lord, I need your help. Sometimes we have to face this illuminating moment, and it's a level up. In, life. in fact, I don't know how we can grow into maturity in our faith unless we literally take on this skill of self-awareness. Now, consequences in life and circumstances in life come at us sometimes like sledgehammers begging us to become more self-aware. Hitting us into our gut and our forehead saying, open your eyes. The thing is, is we can never be forced to do so. Like our friend Taylor said, I have this thing, I can get older, but just never wiser. We can be old and un- unselfaware. We can be young and unselfaware, or we can all along the way press into it. It has to be a cultivated practice over the course of time. We cannot jump into the fitness center and start bench pressing our body weight when we haven't been bench pressing at all. It is very difficult. We can't go from a place even if we're unaware of it, of denial or of of blind to our own shadows, to a place of instant awareness and strength over this without a cultivation process. Now, this is really an attitude for life, to begin to face issues in life, problems, challenges, and, and have the first question be, how did I create or allow this in some way? How did I contribute to what's breaking down here and begin to ask and take ownership of our own self? This is up there, like top three lessons I want to impart to my children that I hope, if everything in their life breaks down, I just hope that I hope that I hope that they live out this sense of self-aware humility. Now, this is important to understand what I'm saying here. Humility in Christ's presence is grace-filled. It is not, I'm not talking about self-aware hatred. I'm talking about self-aware humi- humility. Very different. One is anchored in grace and the presence of Jesus. The other is anchored in shame and guilt and self-destructive. And so I'm inviting you to self-aware humility. It's not ruminating on how bad we are and leaving it that. It's ruminating on what we might be missing. Inviting Jesus into that to forgive us, to heal us, to grow us. Along the way, we cultivate this. So how do we do this? How can we very simply build into our life this cultivated practice so we can see more Jesus? It is an ancient practice that the spiritual mothers and fathers, our faith, actually thousands of years ago, developed as an evening rhythm. And I teach you just a way of doing this. We've been, as a church, looking at discipleship, Broadly, saying we need to quiet and still our souls before the Lord, create space for him, anchoring ourselves in his presence through solitude and silence and reflection. Now I'm adding to that skill set sort of an evening reflection. It's called the prayer of examine. It's really based out of Scripture, Psalm 139, 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the attitude for life. And sometimes we don't realize how much we're missing because we're approaching life with blame or self-protection when we can just say, okay, God, search me and know me. Help me know myself. Lead me in the way everlasting. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith and test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Again, this is the prayer of examine. It's anchored in the historicity of our faith, of our church forefathers and mothers, this simple practice. I think of it as when you're, when you're beginning to get tired, when you're reflecting on the day. Maybe it's anchored to when you brush your teeth at night or when you just sort of initially lay your head down on the pillow Just begin to ask a few simple questions. And think of it again as your evening reprise. We've been potentially walking the day with the Lord, attempting to walk the day with the Lord. We have an ability to, to grow, to reflect on ourselves. I think it's well anchored in Matthew 22, 37, 39. It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And so you may just reflect on this verse Lord, how and where did I love you with my heart, soul, and mind well today? And God, where did I miss you in the ways that I lived from loving you with my heart, my mind, and my soul? And just keeping a quiet moment to reflect on that. And Lord, where did I miss others in the way I treated them? And this is a, a critical recognition as well is that love your neighbor as yourself. We can't actually love out of a well that we're not providing to ourselves. Where did I love my future self well today? By making a decision that I won't regret or making an investment that's going to pay off later on my health, my mental health, my faith, whatever it is. Lord, how did I love you? How did I love others? How did I love my future self well today? And where can I grow and it's staring in the mirror, with courage, but with the grace of Christ behind us. Some of that I just ask you to stand up now. you are going to create a little bit of extra space in today for reflection. And I, I, the reason I picked that passage on the Pharisees, I read that and I was like, "This is mind-boggling." They had maybe the most miraculous miracle you can give an account to right in front of them and they didn't even question Jesus you don't question Jesus maybe you you don't question who he is you don't question his power but we're missing it and so lord we just want you to search us and know us if you want to buy your heads this is just going to be, I'm going to give a little bit of extended personal reflection time Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So maybe over the last day or two, Lord, would you help us? Jesus, how are you with us with your presence and power in our lives? And we may have missed it. So take some time and let the Spirit just reflect you. Anchored in grace. want to see you right there next to us in our lives. Help us to build this habit, an evening reprise, a reflection so you can grow the muscle of self-aware humility within us that we can grow closer to you and receive more of you. Lord, how over this past, over the weekend so far, how did I speak to or treat someone else in a way that prevented a connection in Christ likes, "Where did I miss others, Lord?" with how I showed up. With grace, Lord. Open my eyes to maybe a shadow. Where do we maybe miss investing love into ourselves? Lord, how did I make any decisions that prevented me from growing? In a way I want to, in a way you want for me, in a way that's good. Just a gentle, grace-filled reflection.